Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. And today I am joined by Jeff Clayton. He's the executive director of the American Bail Coalition. And in case his title didn't give it away, today we're going to be talking about bail money. Why you need it, maybe. (laughs) Hopefully you don't. But how it affects people who can't get it. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me on today. Before we get to, there have been a whole bunch of people arrested over the last month or so from all the protests across the U.S. I want to go back to before the Black Lives Matter movement really took off after the death of George Floyd. What was it like in the bail industry up to March or April of this year? Well, I think we've been seeing a lot of reforms over the last decade, at least that I've been involved, where we're eliminated the need for bail in a lot of these low-level cases. So I would say there was a lot of reforms to the bail system leading into it, but certainly bail is required in in any great number of cases, uh, particularly felony cases, you know, throughout the United States of America. Why was there a need for reform? I mean, you, you just start off with there's been a lot of reform, but if the bail system works so well, why do we need to reform it? Well, I think it does work. I think what the biggest issue that we saw were, were issues of due process. In other words, that you know, somebody had a bail set that was considered excessive, but they didn't realize they had to have a, you know, file a motion to have it reduced or judges just didn't take it seriously or have the hearings in a timely fashion. And so as a result of just sort of routine court practices, we were seeing a lot of low-level bails holding people in jail that we just weren't taking a look at. And that, that was an important move, I think, uh, to reform the system. Now, if I break that down, it seemed to be the people that were lower income, that couldn't afford a personal attorney, they had to rely on the court-appointed attorney would come in who usually those lawyers just, their dockets were so full, they only have 90 seconds or two minutes to talk to somebody before they figure out if they should be asking for bail or reduced bail. And it, that also covers a lot of people of color. Yeah, and it, it, it does cover the indigent population, but it really applies to everyone. Because, you know, if you're Paul Manafort and you're set at $10 million, and you don't realize that you need to do something. You know, obviously, in his case, he had attorneys. But even for average people, you know, who are wrongfully charged with something, you may not know that you have a right to, to get your bail reduced uh, and to potentially get out of jail when otherwise you might not. What are some of the cases where a judge would not reduce bail? Well, certainly, you know, they take people's financial circumstances into account when they're looking at whether bail's up or not. But what they're really looking at is prior prior crimes, prior failures to appear in court, severity of the charges, and that sort of thing. And sometimes prosecutors will actually ask for an increase over a bail if it's preset by a schedule or set by a judge and they uh, discover that this, this is a much worst case or this person's a flight risk, will ask for increases in bail. In your role as executive director of the American Bail Coalition, do you collect data on what segments of the population get their bail reduced as, as opposed to others? Like, is it all white collar crimes? Mo- a majority of them get it reduced, but people who, you know, drug deals or something like that, the majority of the time they don't? Well, we don't collect specific data, but I've, you know, and having worked on this issue for a long time, the best example I can give you is the uh, uh, San Francisco public defender, Jeff Adachi, uh, created a program where he was filing excessive bail motions, and he was winning about one-third of them, uh, which basically means that in those cases, judges were setting bails too high. Uh, But in his uh, study, it applied across the board. It wasn't related to any one particular charge or violent charges or anything like that. And not to a particular 
race or, or, or I guess people of color weren't get, getting charged higher bills than white people doing the same crime? Well, I don't think he, he collected, you know, race data that just applied to all of the people charged um, in San Francisco. Okay. So, um, which just points out that, you know, we need due process so that people can vindicate their rights in all these cases. So with the reforms that are coming up, I guess my question is, what was it like before some of these reforms coming to place? Well, I think this, the system has been and still is stable pre this whole movement. Now it's being destabilized. But I would say the reforms that were happening were minimal compared to the functioning of the system. It was holding people accountable. If people didn't show up in court, bail agents are going to arrest them if there's bails. Uh, third parties are leaning on defendants to make sure they do what they're supposed to. So we had an accountable bail system, I think, before all of this started. And where it's going now, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we need to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about where is it going now and why you feel it's being destabilized. So we'll be right back with Jeff Clayton. He's the executive director of the American Bail Coalition. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that if it affects your life in any way whatsoever, we're going to talk about it. And today we are talking about bail, and that may be affecting quite a few people right now or in the past. It has. Joining me is Jeff Clayton, executive director of the American Bail Coalition. In that first segment, we just set up a little bit about what bail does and that there have been a few reforms to help improve the system. But you feel, Jeff, that those reforms are going the wrong way now. Yeah, we've just gone too far. And obviously, if we want to talk about defunding the police, there wouldn't you know, need to be any criminal justice system at that point. So I'm not going to get into that because I don't think that's realistic. But what is being proposed is to say basically that nobody is going to be arrested pending trial. Uh, and if they are arrested, they're going to get a release on their own recognizance. And that's where all of this is going, that there should be no bail at all, that everybody should get out, that uh, there could be no uh, detention of anybody pending trial, and there could be no security uh, for anybody's release. And then the other thing that's really been destabilizing is the amount of money that's been raised for these bail funds uh, to bail out all these folks. And what we're discovering is that the peaceful protester cases just aren't there. And the, and the people that are getting bailed out by the bail funds for free uh, are committing largely violent felony offenses. And so the combination of those two things is going to destabilize the system, in my view, and already has uh, started that process. I want to take this apart just a little bit. Sure. First of all, before the destabilization happened, OK, so I got arrested, Jeff, and my bail was $10,000 and I pay my $10,000. Where did that $10,000 go? What happens to it? Well, it's held by the court and it's security for your appearance. And if you appear, you get your 10000 back. If you don't appear, you know, you lose it. So it's a forfeiture. Typically, a third party posts for you, meaning I will, I will post your bail either with cash or using a bail agent, which means if you don't show, I'm on the hook for it. So I'm going to make sure that you... Uh, go to court. And when we don't require that in some of these cases, these people know they can just take off or not show up and nothing's going to happen to them. And my concern would be if there, if it was a violent offender who's been arrested and they're let back out on the streets, they will just offend again. I'm not, I mean, I, I get that, you know, money helps to hold people accountable. I would also be worried that the rapist, the murderer is still out there committing violent crimes. But 
in the last six months or so, you feel that the bail system is is deteriorating? Well, it's really been since the COVID combination of the COVID virus, where we just let everybody out. You know, the case in Washington State where the guy had raped uh, the victim, got out, raped her again. Uh, the no bail order in California that was devastating to the community. You know, carjackers getting out, you know, 37 minutes later doing it again. Cases, and then you combine that with the Floyd case and the destabilization is on. And it's all 2020. I mean, I, like I said, we were in a reform period that kind of made sense, but not nothing like this. Well, what about peaceful protesters who get just caught up in the sweep? The police just go in and go, OK, we just have to arrest everybody because we've got to calm things down. How do they separate the pe- the peaceful protesters who maybe just got caught up in it as opposed to the violent protesters? Well, in, at least in Minneapolis, the data set that we have during the first seven days showed that they did a pretty good job. Uh, you know, they arrested, you know, 170 people. I think nine had to post bail, which means, you know, the vast, vast majority got out. And then the vast majority of those just got tickets and never got arrested in the first place. We couldn't find a single, quote unquote, peaceful protester who had a bail set above $100. Uh, you know, the, there were a couple of cases where somebody failed to leave an area and the bail was set at $78. So by and large, the protesters were allowed to protest. Were they criminally charged? Yes, but the district attorney dropped 31 percent of all the charges anyway. Okay. You know, it it wasn't – there there wasn't a lot of arresting of violent – or nonviolent protesters. Well, that brings up – even though it may have only been $100, I'm involved in one of these protests. I get arrested. I wasn't violent, but I got, like I say, caught up in the sweep. And I pay my hundred dollar fine, but then the DA, as you said, dropped all the charges. What happens to my hundred dollars? You get it back. And then, of course, if you want to plead guilty to the charge, the reason they set the bail at seventy dollars is that's the fine for the offense. So if you no show it, they just hold you default and keep the seventy eight. If they keep my money, where does that money go? Well, it would depend. Uh, bail forfeitures in various states typically would go to the courts or the general fund. And then fine fine revenue typically will go to the general fund as well. And then there's like surcharges and stuff that the courts get to keep for their time. Okay. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to go into what would you, as the executive director of American Bail Coalition, where do you think our system needs to go? And what would you put in place if you could just, you know, sign the executive order? So we'll be right back with Jeff Clayton. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we are talking about bail. Have you been arrested recently? Did you have to post bail? Where does that money go? What's it for? Joining me today is Jeff Clayton. He is the executive director of the American Bail Coalition. And in the last couple of segments, Jeff, we went through what the bail system was set up for and what happens to our money. But you are very concerned because you think the bail system itself is breaking down. You have fears that violent criminals are being put back on the street because they're not required to pay any bail or it's reduced so far that they're able to meet that amount. What would you want to see happen in the future for the system? Well, I think judges just need to have discretion back, New York being the perfect example. When you tell a judge they can't do bail in a certain amount of cases, look what happens. And, I mean, it's widely accepted by all media in New York that the bail reform law hampering judicial discretion uh, has resulted in all this 
parade of horribles, including a doubling of the murder rate in the last year in New York City. I'm not sure that all of my listeners are aware of what the restrictions are that the judges have in New York. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the legislature laid out very specific circumstances which judges can do bail, and they're very high-level violent felonies. Things like rioting and looting are not included, which means you had multiple looters and rioters getting out 10 minutes later back out on the street. And judges would never have discretion to impose a bail regardless of how many times they did it. That caused a major problem because judges would have otherwise said, nope, you're, you're not going to show up. You're going to continue looting. The bail is 25000 and they didn't have the ability to do that. So it sounds like the pendulum has swung away from the three strikes and you're out because there were a lot of people put away for very minor offenses. Maybe they, it was just just your own personal bit of marijuana before it was made legal through many of the states. But sometimes they got to their third strike with an ounce of, of marijuana on them and they were put in jail for like 25 years. And these people were not criminals in would be the criminal sense of violence. Yeah, I think the drug war is largely over. I mean, you know, obviously the crack cocaine disparity in the 80s and, you know, all the low-level possession type of drug crimes, it just doesn't happen very much anymore. Um, You know, it's trafficking, but I I think the drug war is over. I think the real issue now is all the, you know, meth and uh, fentanyl and all this sort of thing, but it's not really being fought in the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system just has to deal with it. When you say it's not being fought in the criminal justice system, what do you mean? Well, we're not locking up possessors. We're not locking up small-time dealers like perhaps we would have a generation ago. And so we're not using the criminal justice system as a hammer to go after this uh, as much as we are just dealing with it as a, you know, kind of a social crisis, really, without, you know, hard criminal enforcement against it. Are you putting anything forth to Congress to try to create bills to make something more standard nationwide, or does this have to be the our judicial system have to be dealt with like if every single court system throughout the U.S. in every city and county and state? Well, it's hard to get uniformity. We have the fourth generation of bail reform, which we put out as a general policy statement of what we think the bail system should look like in the future as a response to what was and what has ended the third generation of bail reform. So, But the reality, as you said, is that each state, each locality has different practices. And so, you know, it is I guess, job security in that sense, that there's a lot for me to do to go to different jurisdictions to talk to them. And it's really hard to get uh, the federal government to do anything. Imagine that. The federal government <laughs> is not working. Okay. It's All right. kind of like writing a letter to God. You don't <laughs> do it, but, you know, you're your hopes aren't up. Right, exactly. Okay, Jeff, uh, if people have concerns or family members or they maybe they have somebody who is locked up in jail and they don't know that you can actually ask to have bail reduced, where can people go to find a bit more information? Well, start at our website, ambailcoalition.org, or certainly just contact your local bail bondsman. Uh, they know the system. They know the ins and outs. Uh, In some cases, they can refer attorneys. Generally, they can't, but they can at least point you in the right direction uh, of what you need to do uh, to deal with the court system. Okay. Can you repeat that website again? Yep. It's ambailcoalition.org. Do you have any information yourself out on the history of the system or where you hope it goes? Absolutely. So if you go to our resource center, our download center on the website, we have the fourth generation of bail reform and many articles talking about all kinds of different topics that are going on in bail and bail reform. Great. Anything else you need us to know about bail and bail reform and 
what's bad and what's good? Well, I think like all criminal justice issues, it's going to be interesting to see how all this turns out. But, you know, we can't forget that the main reason we're here is to protect the safety of the public. And if we stray from that too far, uh, it's going to be a problem. Okay. Jeff Clayton, Executive Director of the American Bail Coalition. You just helped us with the basics of bail. And if I get arrested, Jeff, I'm coming to you. Yeah, well, I know a lot of bail bondsmen, so definitely text me if you, if you, if you, if you, if you get in a pickle. <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you.